Next batter looks like a Peter Gibbons. Ah, uh -huh. oh, there you are. What are we just talking about you. You must be Peter Gibbons. Uh-huh. Terrific. I'm Bob Slidell. This is my associate, Bob Porter. Oh, hi, Bob. Bob? Pretty much go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute or two. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just... We're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So, if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Well, I usually start my day... I wake up about 9 o'clock. 9.30 Then I grab my cat And uh, if she's sleeping next to me I'll wake her up and put her on my chest And kind of let it uh, let her decide when the day should start um, If she gets up, then I'll get up If not, then I'll just kind of stay in bed You know, maybe till about 11 o'clock or so Then I look at the date And I uh, realize that it's been um, over a week since I lasted my podcast and uh, usually will sit there and kind of hate myself. Um, we'll kind of sometimes just stare at the wall and kind of space out instead of uh, doing my work. Tell but, uh, space out? Spacing out is whenever I kind of tell myself that I'm thinking of ideas for the show but I'm really just, uh, just not doing any work at all. Um, I'm pretty good at that, pretty good at... Uh, at doing a lot of uh, bullshits, non-work. Uh, Peter, would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more? Then, um, then really my biggest uh, challenge of the day is figuring out when is an appropriate uh, time to get stoned. Um, you know, I try to wait until afternoon. I think that's, that's a good bottom line. Um, but, you know... Is 4.20 a good time? If I get my work done, is it a good time? Uh, see, the problem is, Bob, is that I just don't care. Um, I've actually been, you know, wearing the same clothes now for uh, eight days. Eight? Eight, Bob. Yeah, eight. Eight days. The state of California is literally paying me more money to just uh, sit on my ass and smoke weed than it is to do any sort of meaningful work. So what What would you do? What if, and believe me, this is so hypothetical. <laughs> but what if you were offered some kind of a stock option equity sharing program? Would that do anything for you? I don't know, I guess. I'm going to go ahead and get back to the rest of this podcast because this, this sketch is, is terrible and sucks ass, and I'm reconsidering doing these sketches altogether. Have a good day, Bobs. Boy, that's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. It feels good to be a gangster. A real gangster-ass nigga plays his cards right. A real gangster-ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth cause real gangster-ass niggas don't start fights. And niggas always got a high cap. Showing on his boys I was shot him. But real gangster-ass niggas don't flex nuts cause real gangster-ass niggas know they got him. And everything's cool in the mind of a gangster cause gangster-ass niggas think deep. Up 365, yo, 24-7, cause real gangsta-ass niggas don't sleep. And all I gotta say to you, wanna be, wanna be, cocksuckin' pussy pranksters, is when the fire dies down, what the fuck you gonna do? Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to number 15, episode 15. And it's been about 15 days since the last one. Um... 
sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just uh, been having trouble thinking of things to to talk about, to be honest. Um, I've been kind of burning through my stories and stuff that was already on my mind. Um, but uh, today I was inspired by office work. Uh, just was talking to a friend who just uh, switched over from working in an office to working at home. And uh, I've just been kind of fascinated, uh, especially with the kind of late 90s, early 2000s um, obsession kind of with office culture. You know, you look at like The Office, you look at especially stuff before 9-11. Um, I, uh, I think there's a very special period in American life uh, between like the fall of the Soviet Union and uh, 9-11, where you can objectively say things were probably at their best. I think Gen X had it really, really fucking good. <laughs> and I know that it's probably a nostalgia goggles thing. You know, everyone thinks that their childhood was the best. But most of my childhood was more in the 2000s than the 90s, even though there's so many fucking stupid Zoomer kids who call themselves 90s kids and they were born in 97. It doesn't work that way, guys. I know what you're doing. Um, and the reason that I think that they that they want to identify with it is because it really was a kick-ass uh, time to be alive, um, especially if you were an American, uh, because we were a world superpower that just defeated our only uh, rival, and this was before all the terrible kind of uh, Islamic terrorist shit started um, in in 9/11. So we had like a good a good 12 years um, where we were just on top of the world, and it was a total peace. Uh, there was just you know there was just peace all over the place, and there was just you know kind of what they would call a Pax Americana um, going on, and uh, things were good. Even, even in really and... good times, uh, humans have to find something to bitch about. <laughs> That's kind of just the way, way, way it works. And something I kind of noticed is that, uh, especially in the late 90s, um, people really like to, to bitch about the office culture. The cubicles, oh my God, the cubicles. It was actually extremely common. You know, there's movies like Fight Club. There's movies like the Ma even The Matrix. You know, the beginning where he works as an office guy. It's all it's such a, a, such a crappy job that he has. And you know, you look at uh, Office Space. Obviously, um, there's so many of these movies that uh, sort of complain about the mundaneness of life. And uh, I think that's just such a privileged thing to bitch about <laughs> is the mundaneness oh would i love some mundaneness right about now that would be great that would be great instead of this uh living fucking apocalypse that we're still in um right now and i'm talking about the virus uh you know the, the am, I, am i talking about anything else i really could care less but this uh you know this i think we're starting to kind of get used to it now but I still go to the store and stuff and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, like when did this like just turn into just like a nightmare, just fucking, you know, medical masks everywhere. I like that everyone now is kind of wearing more normal masks. Even I bought a uh, just I bought this uh, flamingo mask that that's fun and, and uh, cute. And I think it actually does make a difference as opposed to just the surgical mask. There's something about the image of surgical masks everywhere that is just freaky. And uh, I kind of like that now that's just just part of fashion. But that's also just part of us just getting just normalized to it all. 
you know, it's a weird time to be in. It's kind of, I'm kind of glad that I'm doing this show. Um, so I can kind of look back at how I felt during this time. Uh, cause, uh, future Justin, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. I mean, there have been some sort of nicest things, uh, you know, ever since I got my unemployment in and especially how generous it was with the $600 a week. Um, you know, I'm kind of on easy mode right now. I don't have to do jack shit. But uh, like I've talked about in my other podcast, that's a bad thing for me to have. Like, it's really bad for me just to have like a pile of money and like no responsibility. Um, I'm kind of, I kind of feel sometimes like, like a balloon that's just kind of without a string that's just kind of floating off and stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really, I really got to get back in, in shape. I got to get in so much better shape. I need more time in this quarantine, guys. <laughs> I need more time. I need more time, and I need a, like, uh, I don't know, like, steroids. Where can I find? Anyone know where I can find some steroids? I need steroids. I need I need a, a pill solution um, to getting in shape again. I really need that um, because it's starting to come on uh, nearly a year since I've had a girlfriend, and uh, that's whenever people start getting really, really um, weird. <laughs> Whenever you're that far away from the opposite sex, uh, things, you, especially for guys, um, you need that drive. If you don't have that drive, that's whenever, you know, you start ending up like how I am right now, <laughs> where you just kind of just get out of shape and, uh, you know, just stop kind of giving a damn. Although I never really have given a damn about what I've, what, okay. I shouldn't say I don't give a damn about what I look like. I don't give a damn about what other people think about me. You know, it's, uh, it's been, um, you know, so, so it's kind of been nice that I, you know, this, uh, just kind of taking a break and stuff, but, um, I really like breaks a lot. I remember whenever I worked with my, um, last video production team, I was always surprised, um, with Californians of how many goddamn vacations people take. It just was always weird. It was just like every, every, it seemed like it was like every month. Like, oh yeah, I'm like going here. I'm going to Iceland. I'm doing that. I'm like, what? No, I, you, you don't you don't, get, you don't get to take a vacation every month, but just kind of the way it is. And, uh, you know, I need to kind of find something, something to do. I don't know why I sound so tired today. I just had a rock star and everything. But anyways, getting back to the uh, the mundane complaints of the 90s about office culture. And I'm going to kind of talk about uh, the office show as well, but they're a little bit separate things. But, you know, uh, I'm going to play a little clip from um, Fight Club right now. Um, and this is a great example of that kind of late nineties, just kind of, there's nothing to bitch about. So we're going to like bitch about cubicles. <laughs> Man, I see in fight club, the strongest and smartest men who've ever lived. I see all this potential and I see it squandered. God damn it. An entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars but we won't we 
We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. So, you know, there you go. It's, uh, you know, they talk about being the middle child and, uh, you know, not having a, a fight, you know, not having a depression. Well, guess what, Chuck? Now we do. Now we are in it. Um, you know, I, I personally think that this COVID-19 pandemic is worse than 9-11. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this a lot, and uh, I think the impact that it has is is way worse. I mean, with 9-11, we had a terrible thing happen. We had 2,000-plus 2, people die in one day, uh, murdered, which I think makes it, you know, way different than disease when it comes to the kind of human understanding. There's a, there's a great... Uh, so I tried to look this up, and uh, I can't find it, but... Basically, uh, there's this there's a thing with uh, human psychology whenever it comes to uh, risks, especially risks associated with death, um, that it's not as linear as you think. Actually, rarer causes of death are way, way scarier to people than kind of the more mundane, even though there's much more mundane. Um, for example, uh, car accidents and uh, sickness from illness are way, way more common. Um, you know, anytime you get on the road, uh, you have a very real risk of dying that day. All it could take is one little accident. But people have to accept that because um, it's it just happens all the time. It's just part of life. Um, as opposed to a plane crash, um, if a you know if if anything goes wrong in a plane, it's it's way, way, way a bigger deal. Uh, just psychologically, because it's a rare occasion, and so it kind of has more terror into it. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, and what's funny about that, that, uh, this chart that I'm talking about <laughs> that I might just be bullshitting, uh, because, uh, I did see, I think I saw it in a YouTube video once. Um, but, uh, a lot of, uh, what we consider acceptable, uh, like risk and acceptable deaths is actually based off illness. Now, not COVID-19, much more kind of mundane and run of the mill, but basically the way it is, is that a human being, um, whenever we do anything, there's a risk of, of life or death. There's, there's a very real non-zero risk of death. And basically the way our brains work is as long as it's kind of in the realm of how likely you would be to die from a illness, um, then it's, we will kind of consider that okay. And car crashes are kind of close to that. Car crashes are rarer than illness, obviously, um, but they're pretty close. And so whenever we can kind of put them next to each other, we kind of go like illness, car crashes, and then sort of other causes of death. So the point, the reason I'm making, <laughs> the whole reason I made that point is that, um, you know, whenever it comes to 9-11, we actually have a much higher sense of fear and safety over that because it is a rarer kind of smaller number, even though it's, even though it's a smaller number of deaths, um, it's so rare um, and so kind of insidious that it is uh, seen, it's weighted a lot heavier, even though COVID-19 has killed literally a hundred times more people now. Um, so I think like, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think realistically it is a, a bigger um, issue than 9-11. And I think the way it's going to affect kind of the world overall um, will be as big, if not bigger than 9-11. Um, I'm old enough to remember airplanes before 9-11. Barely do I remember airplanes before 9-11. Um, it was a totally different game. Like you used to be able to have your family members take you all the way to the gates. 
Um, you know, I, I distinctly remember that. I distinctly remember like whenever my, our grandparents, my grandparents would come visit, visit us and we dropped back at the airport, we would go through like the simple security that they had and all that and go literally all the way to the gate and then just let them get on. And same thing whenever you visit people. It's actually a super nice thing. Um, It's like I used to want to do actually a video series about this or a photo series. I mean, about uh, people meeting their relatives off airplanes. It's a beautiful moment. And uh, now it has to be done in the parking lot. But it used to be done right there outside the gate. You used to be able to run out and see your loved one um, right whenever you landed the plane. And of course, 9-11 changed all that. And, uh, you know, with COVID-19, you know, we're kind of looking at the fundamental ways that people work and learn. Um, you know, a lot of people are loving this uh, working from home stuff, especially companies. That's the thing is that, you know, there's a obviously there's a productivity loss of having someone not be like in an office and under watchful eye. But that can also be fixed with software. Uh, there's a terrible software that I use for Upwork that tra- not only tracks the time that I'm working, it also tracks where my mouse is being moved. It uh, takes random screenshots of my computer screen um, to create a work diary for anything I'm working on. And you know what's the saddest part of the whole thing is that it's really effective for me. Is <laughs> that whenever I do Upwork jobs, I'm at probably my most um, productive of any sort of work at home stuff because I just have to, because it's like the fucking computer is taking pictures of my screen. And if I go look at a, uh, you know, a YouTube video and that ends up my work diary, um, it also has an option where it'll take your photograph, um, from your webcam. But luckily, thank God that that is not, that is just optional. That is just insane. It's just thinking about someone across the world looking at my work and then looking at pictures of me looking at my computer. No thanks. It's a little bit creepy. Um, but you know, there's that, like I said, there, so there's, so there's a kind of a ups and downs of productivity. I think it's really nice that people who work from home, kind of like what I do, you can set your own schedule. You know, I, I happen to work really well, um, kind of last minute at night and stuff. So it's nice that I can do that and not have to be, you know, bolted down to an office. Probably the, the greatest uh, thing about working from home that I've always uh, treasured with my own sort of uh, work life is that I wake up whenever I want. Um, you know, I remember in school and, you know, certain other jobs I have, whenever I was a teacher's aide, especially, goddamn, waking up at six in the morning. But uh, having to like force yourself up in the morning just sucks. It's probably better for you overall, but oh, it's such a great great little like luxury, a cheap, simple luxury of my life is that I don't set an alarm whenever I go to bed. Sometimes I will if I have to do something, but I would say I set an alarm maybe like once every two weeks. Um, other than that, it's just so uh, nice that I just, I just go to bed and I just, I just wake up naturally whenever I need to be up. It's usually around like nine or 10, sometimes earlier. Um, whenever I first moved out here, my, I feel like my internal clock was all shifted wrong. So I was waking up at 7am all the time, which is super nice, but, um, you know, it's just kind of nice that I do just, just kind of wake up whenever I want. And I think workers will appreciate that. So yeah, you know, I think, um, a lot of companies will see the benefits of, uh, working remotely too, in the sense that they don't have to pay for office space. Um, you know, there's all that real estate that you need, uh, you know, all of the little company snacks and, coffees and bathroom and all that. Um, I think you'd be surprised at the things that 
you're probably giving up if you go from an office job just at home, you know, just the little like creature comforts like that. Uh, you know, I personally have a co-working space, even though I always work from home because I like to have that, you know, I like to have a place where I can go interact and work with people. But I'm sure that for someone who's always had to work in an office and especially the commuting part, that's the part that I really don't like. And, uh, you know, it's that that's that's something that I can totally understand. Commuting is ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, you know, I've been I've been thinking about getting some work in L.A. Um, but the problem is I really don't want to live in L.A. Uh, where I live right now is so nice and Disneyland-esque that I just don't want to take like a two hour commute, uh, you know, every day or an hour and a half, whatever. It's so weird with driving in Southern California, um, a place that might take you like an hour and a half, one day to get to will take you five the other time. Um, <laughs> I actually had a five hour trip uh, more than once for um, uh, LAX whenever I would, I used to fly at LAX because it's slightly cheaper. It's $100 cheaper usually um, both ways to fly at LAX. So it's like $200 total cheaper for me in Santa Barbara to uh, get a ride down to LAX. Usually they have a little like shuttle that you can go to. And what I figured out is that unless it's an international flight, um, it's totally fucking ridiculous to, uh, to try to save that $200 and, uh, go to Los Angeles because it's, it could, it could take two hours to drive there or it could take five. And, um, you know, it, what, what ends up, what ends up happening is that if you get a plane flight at a certain time at LAX, um, you have to be there. Like, you know, they want you to be there an hour and a half early. So to be safe, you say two hours and now you got to factor in the drive. Right. So, you know, if you want to, you can't roll the dice with it. So I always expect the worst. I always expect a five hour drive. So in order to, even before you step on the plane, you're looking at a seven hour fucking like time waste. Um, and then, you know, once you're on the plane, it's another, you know, two and a half, three. So we're talking to like, you know, a half a day. I might as well drive at that point, you know. So I just I just fly out of uh, Santa Barbara now and just pay the pay the premium. But commuting totally sucks. So it's nice to not have that. I think also whenever it comes to management, um, one one big thing in America that they've actually like put a a clamp on in France about this is the constant connection that we have to work. I like it. I, I you know one of the things about America I like is our Protestant work ethic. Is that we're not like uh, Europe or someone who like has to have our days off. You know everything is about like working as little as possible. Unless you're German, then it's different. <laughs> but uh, in France, for example, they actually have a law. It's a right to disconnect law which means that your boss cannot legally like bother you in your off time. Um, they can't do it. They can't send you text messages. They can't send you emails or they can't expect you to reply to them. I think is the rule. Cause that's a little ridiculous if you can't even send them. But um, that's something with our remote work lifestyle that uh, you might have to get used to is that, you know, as much freedom that you now have to kind of set your own schedule, uh, your boss kind of does too, <laughs> you know? So you know, you might get emails on the weekend and stuff like that. It's not so rigid of the nine to five. Um, but I think, you know, in a way, that's kind of how work should be. I think the nine to five model is uh, overrated. It's uh, out. It's, it's, I mean, I'm sorry, not not over the, the not, I think the nine to five model is outdated. It was created for factory workers where literally every minute 
on the floor equal productivity. And let's be honest, it just doesn't work that way for any other office job or something. It's almost all off time. You know, I think most people probably get like a good like four hours of work done an eight hour work day. And uh, it's just wasteful because, you know, you and, and it's it, 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 it's just it's just a waste of time to be up there. And I think a lot of employers and employees are are going to figure that out with the with the uh, working from home model. But, you know, for me, it's it's really hard to get anything done at home and stuff. So that's why I like to have the co-working space and stuff. But kind of back to my topic of the show, um, you know, is talking about the sort of the the late 90s, early 2000s kind of uh, fear of the mediocrity, the fear that life is just getting too good and too mundane. God forbid we have offices and it just it just kind of cracks me up because I think about all the problems that we actually have now <laughs> and like that, you know, having a nine to five steady job was like, oh, terrible. What a soul sucking, a terrible thing to have. And uh, what's also funny, too, or not funny, is a terrible, terrible trend. This sort of late 90s angst. Uh, one of the real consequences of it is the death of the cubicle. And, uh, you know, the cubicles aren't that bad. I personally would much rather have a cubicle than an open open office plan. I think an open office plan, especially whenever I see it with really big, rich tech companies, it seems like just such a cheap fucking move. And, uh, you know, they do it because they, they think that it's it's nicer on people. But is it really? Is it really nicer to, like, have all of your stuff visible to every other coworker is so you got to, you know, you're working on your shit. And then the person next to you is like, you know, eating their lunch and you're just they're just right next to you and. I think it's very childish whenever I see it. Like whenever I see um, like uh, Google campuses and stuff, even the fact that they call them campuses is, is kind of just like wanting to be like just this kind of just be locked in this college um, sort of student environment. And that's what it looks like whenever I see like uh, like Google or Facebook campuses. And it's just like it's like cafeteria tables with just like fucking IMAX on them and stuff. It's just you guys are making six figures. Wow. Sort of sort of interesting. So that's a part of the whole uh, 90s, you know, thing with hating offices that uh, I think is super lame is is the whole open office plan. Open offices suck. Just put up the cubicles again. They were nice. People like their privacy, damn it. And it's and it's fun to peek over the top and talk to your coworkers and stuff. I say bring back the cubicles. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry. He's he's ruined. He's butchering it. I, I'm. Could you just let me? Every time, every time, black people want to have a good time, some ignorant ass. Oh, no. I take care of my kids. Wait, wait, wait. Is always want credit for something they supposed to do. Yeah. So speaking of kind of your office space, Fight Club, you know, all of those kind of movies, um, you know, one that kind of came out about the nice things about an office was of course the office, which is a very impressive, uh, series. Um, I've been watching obviously the American one a lot, and I also uh, have been watching the British one and I've watched a little bit of the Indian one. Of course I don't uh, speak Hindu, so I don't really know what they're talking about too much, but what's weird is that, uh, I, this sort of came as a surprise to me, but modern, like uh, Indian, like Hindu language like half of it is fucking English now. Like they're just slowly just picking up the English word. So it's just funny because it'll be like, blah, 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 buddy. And like, they'll, like they'll say like buddy or friend, or uh, they'll use like American slang just in the middle of like their, their own language, which is super uh, interesting. 
So, um, you know, I've been I've been watching that. Uh, and, you know, the, the office is a very is a is a rare kind of gem. You know, it's a, it's a television franchise, which is awesome. Kind of like who wants to be a millionaire or something. And uh, there is just to kind of count them off for you. Um, there is the UK office, obviously the OG. There's the American version, which is the most famous. There is a German version called Stromberg, which is kind of funny uh, because they uh, they try to get away with making basically an office ripoff with uh, without like crediting the office. And uh, Ricky Gervais and co like just just basically got them to admit that, uh, yeah, it's 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 a ripoff. Sorry. <laughs> and so now it's considered a, a proper office show. But it's kind of a shame they try to be shady about it. You goddamn shady Germans, because they had they changed all the characters and like a lot of the stuff is different because they were trying to not make it the same franchise and they should they should just embraced it it's kind of one of the the cool hilarious things about the office is seeing like the same dwight character or the same michael scott character um across different cultures um but uh for the for the for the german one it's called it was just it was just called stromberg um then there's the french version la bureau la bureau i can't say that right la bureau le, le bureau le bureau I can't say, say bureau, le bureau. Then there's the French version, which is le bureau. The Canadian French version, la job. There is a Chilean version, la office. Or there's the there's actually an Israeli Hebrew language version called ha mizrad. There's a Swedish version called contorit. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of probably butchering how these are actually said, by the way. So I'm sorry if someone is actually knows how to say these right, but it looks like it says contorit. So I'm going to say that's a Swedish language version. There's a Czech version called Kansi. There's a Finnish version called uh, Kontori. And of course, there's a Hindi version, an Indian version, which, like I was saying before, with the English kind of going up, they just simply call it The Office. Um, even though, uh, the rest of the show is sort of, uh, in Hindi, um, back and forth, they just call it the office. Uh, Indians know enough English to know what that means. <laughs> and what's, uh, funny about watching kind of these different versions, um, is that they all kind of have their own, uh, cultural spin on things that you could really notice by comparing the differences between the two. Um, the UK one, I'll be honest, I, I, I have trouble watching it. Um, I always find the first episodes funny and I find, you know, Ricky Gervais super funny, but the rest of the characters I don't get, they don't, they don't make me laugh as much. It's a much more sexual show too, which is kind of weird is, is that, um, I can, it's definitely much more of an adult show. Um, you know, uh, all of it is about shag and who and shag that. And, uh, it's also a lot meaner. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the difference between American and uh, British sitcoms and that British sitcoms like it's about a bad day, like like a British sitcom will be about a bad day. An American sitcom will be about a bad day that turns out great. <laughs> That's kind of what's 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 uh, great about the American spirit is that we love happy endings like we cannot have just a miserable show and that's a very british thing <laughs> is british people are totally okay with it just being a dreary gray miserable show that that makes you laugh in its misery um 
But with the U.S. version, that's the biggest difference. And I think it's why it became so successful is that they took um, kind of that that cheeky poking fun at things and being a, like slightly risque whenever this came out, you know, um, in the in the in the early uh, 2000s, this was still like before the PC police kind of came along and stuff. So you could have those like classic episodes like Diversity Day where uh, Michael Scott's. Um, tries to explain the Chris Rock joke about how there are black people and then there are N words, <laughs> and he just says the joke and, it, and it's good. And it's even though we all like laugh that you know he's a totally like immature, you know, ignorant fool. Um, it's not like oh my god, he has to be like canceled for that. He has to be like thrown out of the office and stuff. Back then, we still had a little bit of some balls about things, so that's. That's what's super funny. I think the, as a matter of fact, I was watching uh, some of the behind the scenes, and um, a lot of the a lot of the cast of the show said the Diversity Day episode, which was the second episode, was the one where they were like, "This is actually like fucking amazing," um, because the first sh- episode is a almost a beat for beat recreation of the UK one. It's actually very interesting to watch them side by side because um, it is it is beat for beats like the same scenes, the same thing they say. Um, there's a, there's a, there even, you can even see sort of like the, the not, not even a translation error because, uh, shocker me, us, us and the British both speak English, <laughs> but just sort of a culture translation kind of thing. Like, um, uh, like there's, there's a, there's a joke where, um, Dwight, the Dwight version of the character in both episodes, by the way, because I am an American and I, and I am a selfish American centric, I will be referring to all of the characters, regardless of their uh, country as the American counterparts. Um, so it's just easier for me to say. So the Dwight in the UK one and in the British one, the scene with the stapler is identical. Um, even the the lines they use and stuff. So there's a line where uh, Dwight says, uh, says um i want to see him i want to see him uh, disciplined uh for this and the michael character goes ooh kinky and it's way way better with ricky gervais from the uk saying it than with uh michael scott saying it uh with steve carell it's it comes off weird like he's like oh kinky it doesn't have like the same sort of like cheeky british um, is sexual innuendo kind of joke behind it even though it's the same thing so it's just it's just fascinating to see that um, obviously too, the American one is, uh, way more diverse. Um, there is only one, uh, other, uh, um, what they call a, uh, it's a terrible word. It's a terrible word in the UK, maybe not in the United States, but they refer to him as a Paki. He's a Pakistani. Um, I think he might even be Indian, but, uh, in the UK, anyone who, uh, is from the East and has brown skin is called a Paki. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but luckily the show is not in the UK. I guess you could download it there, but he's the only one that they sort of like make fun of with a race and just barely is him. But of course in the U S office, they have an Indian woman, they have a black guy, you know, they have them all. So <laughs> I just named two people. I was like, they have them all. <laughs> we have two. Oh, an Oscar Oscar's a gay. <laughs> But yeah, so um, you know, that's the difference between the the UK and the American one. Um, and that the American one is uh is is so much more sincere. If David Foster Wallace was alive, um, he would really have loved the office, I think. I was talking to someone about this because his his whole 
sort of re re revelation he had right before he died was sort of how I've talked about this on another show is that how um, pop culture have, has become so ironic and full of itself and like commercials try to be like anything but a commercial that we really don't have that sincere sincerity in the media that 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 um that we used to you know that used to just be the defaults and he brings up Seinfeld as a good example especially if you compare Seinfeld to uh to um if you compare Seinfeld to The Office like um Seinfeld every character kind of sucks <laughs> like they're really like especially I think that's why it's so appropriate the last episode is them all in jail is that there really isn't like a sincerity like like a heartwarming oh kind of moment that that the office does have the office is built around that it's built around uh you know pam and jim's love story and how you know michael is a good guy just he has a big heart but uh you know he's in the but he just puts in the wrong place while as opposed to uh you know i, I would argue especially when it comes to michael michael scott versus um david brent um there i'll say the uk one is that David Brent is like just an ass. <laughs> like he is just a filthy kind of ass who likes people to like him. Um, you know, so so it kind of looks like, you know, he's a kind person. But the truth is that it's just for his own benefits is that he just wants people to love him because he's kind of a self-absorbed dick that way. Whenever it comes to Michael Scott, um, seems like he's just doing it to be a self-absorbed dick but he actually does have like tons of moments in the show where he shows you know how nice he is and how sincerely he loves everyone in the office and stuff um so that's that's the biggest biggest difference and i think of why it was so successful in america and why i think uh, david foster wallace would give it his uh th like thumb up of, of approval is that it is a truly sincere lovable show is that it doesn't just try to just hide behind being ironic and being um, offensive. Uh, it does have those those points, but it, it is a feel-good show. And so it did really well in that sense. Um, personally, whenever I watch it, I skip over all the Jim and Pam parts. Sorry, <laughs> I just do. They don't really add, they don't really do anything for me. And plus, if you're marathoning, you can get through it. That's that's my biggest big advice. If you want to marathon the office again, you already know what the fuck's gonna happen to Pam and Jim. Okay. So just you just skip over all that shit. Um I will say that uh I I kind of root for Roy a little bit um whenever I watch the show. Uh, you know, they they have to really <laughs> like nail it home to the audience that Roy sucks. It's easier in the UK one because Roy is actually a mean, aggressive fucking dude who like throws the UK version of Jim against the wall like multiple times and like is just fucking like just not nice at all. But I think the problem they made with Roy is that his look and stuff is very kind. He kind of has like, a, this might sound a little homosexual, but he has very kind eyes and like a very like kind kind of teddy bear <laughs> look about him. Uh, so I think it's harder for an audience to be like, oh, this guy is like the bad guy. Like he's fucking bad. And plus, um, you know, what did he do wrong? Like, uh, you know, he's, this is, this is, this is Pam's fiance and yeah, she shouldn't be fucking flirting with this like nappy headed, <laughs> not nappy headed. He shouldn't be flirting with this, you know, disheveled hair, like fucking gym every day, every day they flirt. Every single day, like Roy catches them a couple times and it's very, very awkward. And Jim's like, oh, shit. So, no, like, 
caught me trying to fuck your fuck your uh, fiance. Sorry, sorry, bro. But yeah, it's kind of fucked up, Jim. Like uh, in Pam, you know, aren't you an adult woman? That's what I keep on thinking watching this show. Like Pam acts a lot like she's like a like like a child bride or something. Like she cannot just uh you know, like be in the office with Jim and be like, oh, well, I like Jim a lot and I don't like Roy. Um, time to break up that relationship with Roy. <laughs> like, it's that simple. Um, bitch, you could have saved him from getting fired, okay? <laughs> so that part's kind of weird to me is that like Pam kind of acts like she just, it, it just, just will do whatever, just do whatever. It's just sort of just blown with whatever relationship that she has and, you know, it's just kind of weird. So, you know, th that part kind of is strange to me. Um, but, uh, you know, at the end of the show, Roy does get a good life. So I guess they make a even even Roy gets a happy ending in the American version. Isn't that great? <laughs> so even there, um, you know, it shows the sincerity. And I think what makes it such a, such a feel good show, it, it's the most watched show on Netflix, by the way. And I actually got Netflix just to watch more office because I wanted to make this show about office culture and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. And, I, and I've watched a little bit of the Indian version of The Office, too. Like I said, I can't. Can't speak Hindu. And yeah, there there are, you know, there are subtitles on some of it. But what I find very fascinating about the Indian version is that the Indian version doesn't even really try to do the mockumentary style that much. And I have a theory, and this might be slightly racist, is that um, Indian people like don't really understand sarcasm and irony that much. I, I think even as Americans, we don't we're not the king of it. The British are the king of it. Like we kind of get it and we like it a lot. But I feel like there's certain cultures like Indian culture where it just doesn't make any sense. Like they just don't like like it's like there's they get jokes and stuff, but like very dry, um, ironic, sarcastic humor is just not a thing. They're just, in a way, I love them for that. I love that they're very um, sincere, genuine people. <laughs> so if something is funny, like it has to be like, ha ha, look at this joke. Oh, isn't that crazy? What a crazy guy. Like it, it has to be like that, that big. And, and whenever they shoot the office too, you know, I, I imagine like, you know, these like Bollywood types, like, okay, so we have to shoot it like a documentary that, that doesn't make any sense though because it's not a documentary they're they're scripted people um yeah fuck that whole documentary thing we're just gonna make sets and light it with bright colors and just do it the way that the indian people will love damn it and so that's what's funny whenever you watch it like there is a little bit of 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 a hint of a, of a handheld camera but other than that, all the sets are like clearly built. It doesn't even look like they're in a fucking office most of the time. Um, and uh, there's like there's lots of music behind them and stuff, which doesn't make any sense for a fucking documentary. And it's just way more like like in, like like just traditional sitcom, which I think is kind of funny. Um, is that that's kind of their take on it? And that's actually you know another part of the office I didn't mention that I really like is uh the style of it you know that that mockumentary style is super cool um because the camera is almost like a character and not only is it like a character but the movements and stuff are like uh we, like we are the camera and sort of our reactions 
are are amplified by the camera movements, much in the same way that in a laugh track works. I think that's actually a reason why The Office works without a laugh track is because the camera gives cues of when things are supposed to be funny. Um, if you rewatch The Office, you'll notice a lot of times where uh, sort of the 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 reality of how an actual documentary camera would work is thrown out the window on certain parts. You don't really notice them that much unless you really look for them where they do it for the story's sake and they do it for the impact and emotional sake. And the biggest one is the zooms. Uh, the office is shot with a very, very long, uh, like uh, a very long zoom lens. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The probably the biggest reason that they have that long zoom lens is that in order to, in order to have intimate moments in the show, like whenever they have like Jim and Pam, like, you know, talking about their relationship or something, the only way they can get away with that happening and being at all realistic is that they have these super long zooms. So it'll always be like, you know, the camera is like in another room, like peeking through the, 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 the windows to see them talk. And they're all wearing, um, wireless, uh, microphone kits so that they can be picked up anywhere, even in bathrooms and stuff, which is like part of the joke. They don't go in the bathrooms that much. Uh, I think there's only one episode I've seen where they, where they do, like one of the jokes is that Dwight's office gets moved in the bathrooms. They go in there. So they do respect certain realities of like how a documentary crew would actually work. Um, but a good example too, of, uh, of how they break sort of the, the rules of a documentary kind of universe is anytime, uh, in the earlier shows, they have car scenes where they have a scene in a car. Um, the, you'll notice that that it makes like sometimes zero fucking sense of like how a camera operator would be there. Cause for example, they'll have a scene where like, uh, they have two people driving in a car and then, and then, you know, they'll have a camera guy shooting them like profile from the front seat and the back seat or something or from the front seat and the passenger seat. And then there's like no place a camera person could go. Obviously they had a, like the, the actor move and then put the camera there. And another, another good, uh, uh, moment of that is anytime they're in a car, whenever they stop somewhere, there's suddenly a view outside the car. <laughs> so are they having like the camera crew, uh, tail them? No, they just, they just do it because it makes for a better, um, it makes for a much more clean, cohesive storytelling even to have kind of these, what I call phantom multi-cameras. And they actually, I think, made an effort to sort of uh, fix this in the later seasons. Because you notice in the later seasons, the car stuff is done with GoPros. It's done with little um, dash cams. So it still has that realism that it is all shot kind of um, on the hip and stuff. But um, just kind of interesting is if you ever rewatch the episode, rewatch The Office, think about like how the camera would actually work in real life there. Like think about like where they would be, how noticeable they would be. Um, you know, that's another thing too, is that they never, they, 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 uh, they don't really interact with the camera that much, uh, except for Jim. You'll notice Jim constantly interacts with the camera. And so does Pam. And why is that gang? Because they're supposed to be our self inserts because we're supposed to be a Jim or a Pam. So it's very clever. I think in that way is that Jim and Pam are the most, uh, are, are the most um, aware of the filming happening. And it sort of adds to their personality a lot. I mean, it's cliche at this point, like Jim's dumb fucking look he does with the camera all the time. 
Um, but that's sort of nice. It humanizes them in a way. It makes them like us. It makes them like like it makes them be like look at us as the audience and let them into their lives. So very cool. The camera work and stuff. Um, it's so cool. In fact, that any show that does that camera work like after the fact, I think it's just such a goddamn ripoff. Like I can never get into Parks and Rec, even though I think Ron Swanson's a great character and there are really good characters on there. It's such an office ripoff. It's not even funny. Like I just, like I just can't get over like how much of a ripoff. It's even in an office. They even spend most of their time in an office. But just the camera moves and all the beats. It's 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 the office too. <laughs> like that's all it is, and it kind of turns me off from the show in that it's it's so derivative, obviously, of the of the style. But that also shows how powerful of a series the office is. Is that it had such a signature style that you just really can't replicate it anywhere else without having comparisons made to it. So guys, I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, sorry for a slightly low energy show. Uh, I don't know what the hell's going on. So I think sometimes whenever you like have caffeine, you hit that crash period. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm at that point where I'm like, I can pause and take a break, but then, then I'm not going to want to do it anymore. So... I'm just going to call it right now. I'm calling it. Show is over. So hope you have a great rest of your week. You know where to find me. Lower Your Expectation Podcast at gmail.com. Lower Your Expectation Podcast is on Instagram. Facebook, Lower Your Expectation. And I will see you guys again in one or two weeks. But before you go. Ready? Mehu. Chukdeep Chadda. Naam se zahir hai, main Punjabi hoon. Or should we say, Funjabi. Wilkins Chawla mein mujhe two date 15 saal hoon. Ye mera jungle hai, aur main yahaan ka sher. Mera na, employees ke saath gazab ka connection. Sab kehte hai, sir, you are mind blowing. You have blown us, sir. Main yahaan tumhara boss bhi hoon, aur buddy bhi. Yes, sir. Aur tum mujhe sir mat bolo. If I'm your buddy, you can say, uh, hey, Chadda, buddy, Chaddi buddy. <laughs> Chadda gets serious. Head office mein downsizing ki baat chal rahi hai. Downsizing? Bohut achhi baat hai. Yaha ek se badkar ek bhaltu log baithe hai. Trust. Imagination. Teamwork. Jisse milta hai, satisfaction. This is what we need. Thoda problem hai? Kyo? Hotstar Specials presents The Office, coming soon.